This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Nationwide and their farm certified agents. Where might your farm and home not be protected? Go to nationwide.com slash Andrew for answers to help protect your next. And by Pivot by Approven 40 OS. The nitrogen you need now on seed. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. Blake Hurst is worried about selling his soybeans. That's what he recently penned for an article about our foreign trade situation. It may leave some of you asking, so exactly why is he worried? And how does this foreign trade, and specifically tariffs, impact the U.S. farm economy? I think you'll be interested in what the past Missouri Farm Bureau president has to share about our current economic situation and what may be ahead for the farm sector. It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Nationwide. You may know, besides hosting these programs, I'm a farmer and rancher, and like me, you probably have insurance and maybe you don't give it much thought after that. And that can be a big problem if you aren't protected. That's why I've partnered with Nationwide, the number one farm insurer in the U.S. Founded by farmers nearly a century ago, they're committed to keeping us safe and protected. They helped me see a lot of what I'd overlooked, and that's why we've produced short videos about important topics to help protect your next. Just go to nationwide.com andrew. That's nationwide.com slash Andrew, where I host short videos on many important topics to help us see what we may have overlooked. And this week's show, brought to you by Pivot Bio. One of the things, as a farmer who grows corn, that is always on my mind is how to get that corn the nitrogen it needs. That's why for the past four seasons, I've been using Pivot Bio Proven 40 to help provide that corn with nitrogen when it needs it, no matter the weather. Now the predictability is available right on the corn seed. Pivot Bioproven 40 on seed gives growers even more flexibility with their nitrogen plant. It's the first on seed nitrogen, and all U.S. corn growers have access to the game changing technology. Pivot Bio products contain naturally occurring microbes that fix nitrogen from the air and provide it directly to corn plants all season long. I hope you'll learn more. Just contact your local sales rep or go to pivotbio.com. Many of you are familiar with Blake Hurst, who served for a decade as president of the Missouri Farm Bureau. But for much of his life, he's been writing pieces for a number of national non-farm publications, sharing thoughts that cut across political lines to get to the heart of the issue. This time is no exception, as Blake recently shared his thoughts on this country's tariffs and how that is impacting agriculture. The most recent use of tariffs began in the Trump administration and has continued in the Biden years. Meanwhile, the trade deficit has continued to grow. So what's this mean for U.S. agriculture and the nation? Here's our conversation. Blake Hurst is my guest, and many listening to this will know Blake. But uh, if not, Blake, I'm going to have yeah, let you have a chance to introduce yourself a little bit. A uh, long time with the uh, Missouri Farm Bureau, but uh, back home on the farm in far northwest Missouri, correct? That's right. We're about five miles from Iowa and about 15 from Nebraska. Tell folks what you do on the farm, because uh, you have conventional agriculture, but you have a lot of greenhouses, I know, as part of the operation. Yeah, we uh, farm with my uh, daughter and her husband uh, and my son-in-law and, uh, and of course, my wife, Julie. We have about uh, two and a half acres of greenhouses, grow uh, bedding plants. Um, if you're in the Midwest, you shop at Westlakes. Uh, if you shop at Romay, you may be buying some of our plants 
uh, do a lot of work with um, school fundraisers. So we're kind of like the Girl Scout cookies of greenhouses. And, uh, and then, of course, grow corn and soybeans on our, uh, on our farm here in Atchison County. One of the things that uh, you have done for many years, and maybe you take me back to the start of this, you're, you do a lot of writing. And I know you've been in the New York Times and many publications. How did that, that start? Have you always been a writer? Because I find your work in, in lots of places and not just agricultural either. Yeah, well, I'm easily irritated. And when I uh, get mad, I sometimes sit down and write about it. Uh, uh, the, the first article I had published, which was probably in about 1985, it was after a series of rejection letters. And these, those have changed over the years, by the way, you used to get, um, you used to get a nice letter, you know, sent to you in the mail. Now you get a, if you're lucky, you get a, a one sentence email, but anyway, uh, so I'm kind of an expert on rejection letters. In fact, one of the proudest, um, uh, things I have, I got a very nice letter from Atlantic magazine. Uh, several years ago, uh, saying we don't, we're not going to use your stuff, but we liked it, and so I've kind of, I've kept that one because that that one really uh, uh, that was when the Atlantic was actually uh, a well-respected magazine, and it was pretty exciting. Anyway, uh, so I send them off. Sometimes they get printed, sometimes they don't, um, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I've gotten to meet a lot of different people, gotten invited to different places, uh, and I've enjoyed it very much. First article I got published. Uh, got picked up by the Reader's Digest, and uh, they paid me, the Reader's Digest, this was in 1986, paid me $1,800 for the article. And as you know, uh, one of the things is the uh, the Internet has done is it's killed the market for uh, for any kind of freelance, uh, freelance work at all. And so that's still, you know, 30 years later, still my best payday. So, so I don't do it for money. I do it because I'm irritated. <laughs> well, one of your recent uh, pieces was about uh, trade and trade deficits and how that might impact uh, farmers. Uh, you mentioned that you didn't know if you wanted to sell your beans, and we'll jump into to why that is. But let's talk about trade deficits for, for just a moment. And I think it would be good to, to look at an overall picture. Over time, I think that all of us, uh, when we hear about trade deficits, we say, well, we need to balance this out. This is bad. It's a, it's a trade imbalance. I'm wondering if you would necessarily say that. Is it bad that there's a trade imbalance or does that mean that if we are importing more, we simply simply are buying more and that's a function of us having more cash to be able to buy things? How should we look at a, a trade deficit before we even get over to the ag side of things? Okay, so um, we've ran a trade deficit as a nation for almost all of our history. Um, we ran, and if you go back, it's interesting, you want to know how to close a trade deficit, uh, have a really bad recession. That'll do it. Uh, have a really bad domestic economy where people aren't buying. Then you close your trade deficit, at least a little bit. The money flowing out of the United States and the money flowing into the United States, the amount of dollars, will always equal. It's accounting identity. It always happens. So if we're running a trade deficit, that means we're running a capital or a money surplus. In other words... Uh, foreigners are building uh, maybe car plants in Alabama, maybe buying treasury bills, maybe investing in, uh, as much as we hate to say it, real estate. Uh, so, so the money always equals. How can we cut our trade deficit? Well, we raised tariffs. That didn't work. Our trade deficit increased. 
uh, since we started this round of tariff increases five or six years ago. Uh, one, I might add, that's been supported by both parties. Our trade deficit's going up. Uh, why is that? Because our deficit is going up, our government deficit. So so savings, if we're saving less than we're spending, if the money, if uh, the, 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 the total amount of savings in the economy is less uh, than the amount that we're spending, if we're running a, a trade deficit, or I mean, excuse me, a budget deficit, the federal government, then we have to balance that somehow. We balance it with foreign inflows of capital. So again, this is all. This is not economics. This is accounting. So you want to cut the trade deficit, cut the budget deficit. It'll do it immediately. So the way we look at that, then we've said, and and you mentioned in this article that uh, starting with the Trump administration, although you make the the comment, and we may want to bring this in, that this isn't new. Uh, you you referenced the Mark Twain comment that uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but sometimes it rhymes. Uh, and you mentioned President McKinley, and so we may want to go back to that. But with the Trump presidency, we began to implement tariffs and. Those have not been taken off, uh, you mentioned, with the, the Biden presidency. So are we looking at things incorrectly? Because you just mentioned that we said, OK, we're going to do tariffs and that's going to reduce our trade deficit. But in fact, it's grown quite substantially in the last, what, six or seven years, correct? Yes, it has. It's almost doubled. Yeah. Well, what happens when you, you place tariffs is you protect on the industry that uh, is being protected by tariffs. Obviously, if you put tariffs on imported steel, uh, then U.S. steel benefits. But as it turns out, I'm using that as an example, there's a lot more people, I mean, by a fact, multiples more people uh, work in steel using industries in the United States uh, than, than, than work in the steel industry. So when you increase the profits and the prices of U.S. steel, uh, then you hurt John Deere, you hurt General Motors, you hurt, um, you know, the guy that made your auger or your, your side-by-side or whatever you have that uses steel, which is almost everything. We've got tariffs on uh, Canadian um, lumber right now. Uh, so we're at a, we're at, we're, we're, here we are, a place where young people starting out uh, can't possibly afford a house uh, because of the increase in interest rates and the increase in the price of houses. Uh, we've all seen those statistics. We've all experienced it, maybe with our kids as they look for a place to live after they marry. And yet we're raising the price of lumber uh, to build that house with tariffs. Uh, so we're hurting maybe millions of consumers and benefiting tens of thousands of people, including, of course, uh, farmers growing softwood in Georgia and Florida. But uh, the, the math just doesn't work out. So as a as a political uh, as a political uh, thing, it's a good thing. Everybody wants to support uh, their the local producer, uh, and so as a political move, it's popular, and that's why both both parties are in favor. As an economic move, it's shooting ourselves in the foot. So because of that, and you know, I would like to think that the leadership. Uh, of the country, whether it's Democrat or Republican, can see that. So is it just because that's not going to be popular for me to come out and say, hey, we're getting rid of tariffs because that that's what's going to, they would get hammered by the other party, whoever that is. So does this situation change or do we continue on with tariffs in the hope that somehow it protects enough people that they feel good about it to uh, vote for that party at the, the ballot box? How does it work out, oh. I guess? Well, it's interesting um, I mean, you know, I, I, I had, I, I had, I don't have them in front of me and I apologize, but quotes from the Biden administration, they're clearly 
concerned about the economic backlash, or the, excuse me, the political backlash, had they uh, reduced any of the tariffs. So the assumption always is uh, that tariffs are politically pro- pro- popular, but it doesn't, I'm not sure it always works out that way in practice. Uh, when, when, when I, uh, uh, and, 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 and people tend to uh, answer, as we know in agriculture, there's a lot more people that say they're interested in um, I don't know, sustainable food, non-GMO food, you pick your, you pick your example. If you poll it, you find a huge majority of people that want their food grown in a certain way. If you go to the grocery store and watch what they buy, it's a totally different, uh, totally different story. Jason Lusk and others have done some great, uh, research on the way people, uh, don't act the way that they say they'll act when their pocketbooks are involved. And I think that uh, there is a constituency, it's a very quiet one, uh, but a constituency for low prices. And uh, when you uh, reduce tariffs, you reduce prices to the American consumer and you benefit all consumers. And no matter what the tariff it is, it only benefits a few producers. In your uh, piece, you wrote about President McKinley, and people may think that their eyes will glaze over if we talk about President McKinley, but history, in a sense, does sometimes repeat itself. You may want to take a moment to talk about what happened because it was a very similar situation, and they began to raise these tariffs. What ended up happening over 100 years ago then? Yeah, so in 1890, uh, uh, William McKinley was, uh, and, and I only reference this because when uh, former President Trump's talked about his plan to increase tariffs, he referenced McKinley. In 1890, he was chairman of the House of Ways Committee in the U.S. House, pushed through a 50% tariff increase. And you have to remember at that time that tariffs not only, uh, you know, protected domestic industries and all the things they do today, but they were a very large source of government revenue as well. So, so tariffs helped, uh, helped to uh, fund the U.S. government in a much larger way than they do now, thank goodness. And so pushed through a 50% tariff increase. Um, at that time, the political roles were almost completely reversed. The populist, um, the populist position, William Jennings Bryan and, and uh, the prairie populists that you remember from your history books, I hope, uh, were against tariffs. They said, look, it's killing farmers are trying to export. It's killing consumers by raising prices. Uh, and, the, and the Republicans who favored tariff increases were seen as handmaidens or, or working for um, and benefiting from the relationship with the, the trusts, you know, Standard Oil and the big business of the time. And now, of course, the populists are the ones in favor of tariffs, so we've ch- completely changed the roles. But anyway, so in 1890, we raised tariffs. Uh, by 1893, we were in a huge uh, recession. Uh, depression and panic of 93, again, for the history buffs here. Uh, the, the, the voters turned out the Republicans in 1892, including William McKinley, who lost his House seat. And by the time he was running for president in 1896, the Republican platform was still in favor of tariffs and mentioned them favorably in their platform, uh, but went on to say, gosh, maybe we should uh, reduced tariffs when our trading competitor or trading partners do the same. And uh, no mention was made of reimposing uh, the uh, McKinley tariffs, 1890 tariffs that have been, had been repealed by the Democratic Congress uh, in 1892 and 93. Now, this is all, you know, sounds terribly boring uh, to anybody who listen to this. And I hope that you haven't lost your whole listenership 
but it does not matter. People do eventually realize uh, that they're paying higher prices for everything they buy uh, in order to protect people um, who may, well, make more money than they do. In other words, uh, we, we, we're spending a lot of money protecting the, the uh, steel workers at U.S. Steel who are all good people, and uh, I, I wish them the best, but they're quite likely making more uh, than the median income. And I'm not sure that's a good public policy. You began your piece talking about farmers and selling your beans and, and some concerns you had over selling your beans with the, the current tariff structure. So talk about that then, because up till this point, we've mostly talked about more the broader view. What does it mean for agriculture in this time of tariffs and talk of perhaps even more tariffs? Well, we, 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 we know what happens. We'll repeat uh, what happened in 2018 when the president tariffs went into effect people other countries respond by raising tariffs on u.s imports they have to uh, even the the wiser ones that know it's economically a bad decision have political pressures just like we do and so uh so when someone uh, says uh, you know we're not going to let uh, france we're not going to let you sell uh kumquats into the u.s without uh, raising the price 10 percent well then france is going to react and what we also learned on 2018, uh, and, and what we know, although we don't sometimes admit it, farmers are very well organized and a pretty powerful interest group. So it is often the case that foreign countries uh, concentrate or target agriculture exports uh, for their, their retaliatory tariffs because they know uh, that uh, you and I and everybody else involved in uh, or with an interest in public policy and agriculture are going to talk to our Farm Bureau representatives. We're going to go to the next soybean meeting. We're going to talk to the corn growers. And uh, we have some political uh, political stroke, which is normally a very good thing, uh, but it makes us a target for retaliation. And I think that's exactly what will happen uh, if we have another round of tariff increases. When we look at what has happened already, do you feel that agriculture has, has it been mostly um, little impact or have we been negatively impacted by what we have seen so far with the tariffs that we had looking back five, six, seven years now? No, we've been negatively impacted. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Uh, I think China is working very hard to, uh, uh, to get uh, alternative suppliers of the grain that I would like to sell them and everyone else. And grain's felt fungible. Obviously, if China buys more Brazilian soybeans, then, uh, then other countries will have to come to the U.S. for the soybeans, and I understand that. But anytime you add friction, anytime you add transaction costs, anytime you make it more difficult for buyers and sellers to meet and agree, uh, you're going to reduce the amount of trade that goes on. So it's hard to sort out. Uh, I have a great, great deal of skepticism. You'll read economic reports from people on either side of the issue and say, well, that cost us $87.6 billion. Well, that's, of course, baloney. Uh, there's no way of sorting out the effects of drought and changes in currencies and all the other things uh, without. Incidentally, I mean, again, it's sort of, sort of complicated. But what happens when we increase our tariffs, then we import less, which means there's fewer dollars floating around the world, which means that the supply of dollars goes down 
which means that the value of dollar goes up, which hurts our exports. So if you want to know why tariff increases uh, don't increase the trade, the uh, trade uh, deficit, well, that's the reason, uh, because um, the, it's, the tariff increases are rapidly ex re uh, reflected the value of the dollar uh, moving in, in the same direction. Dollar goes up when tariffs goes up. And uh, that means our exports go down. So that's why we don't have preventive trade deficit. But yeah, we've, we've paid for this. Um, and, uh, and, and, and what happens uh, is, you know, elasticity increases over time. And if we're seen, uh, which we are now, if we're seen as an unreliable trading partner because of our tariffs or our willingness to increase tariffs, uh, then people are going to continue to look elsewhere. Uh, it takes a while to develop, and we saw that, of course, in the 70s with uh, with Japan and Brazil. We we replaced we placed an export embargo on soybeans. Uh, Japan made the necessary investments uh, to expand the soybean uh, soybean business in Brazil, and we're still paying for that. You may not be in the prediction business, but how do you see us beginning to work through this? Do we continue with these tariffs because it is popular to say, hey, we're we're going to rectify this trade balance. We're going to sock it to these countries. Or how does it end up working out uh, in the end, do you feel? Oh, I think that facts uh, are powerful things. And so it always takes longer than you and I think it ought. Uh, but people will eventually see that this is uh, this is harming us more than it's uh, helping. And they'll change their policy. And we won't, it, won't, it won't happen, by the way. Uh, with a bang, we won't have a huge meeting where everybody gets together and says, you know, we screwed this up. We're completing, we're going to reverse course 180 degrees. Uh, but, but little by little, you'll see, uh, uh, you'll see senators and uh, representatives from farm states show a little bit more backbone than they have in the past five years and start talking about trade. Uh, you'll see, and, and you're starting to see that now. Um, and, and, and one of the things that has to happen, I think, before that to happen, is that this tribal nature of our politics will have to lessen. In other words, we're going to have to see um, both, you know, both, both sides of the aisle say, you know, on this issue, my party is not right. Uh, and what they're doing is harming my constituents. And even though I'm a Republican or a Democrat, my first loyalty is the people that... Uh, elected me, the people that hired me, and uh, this policy is bad for them, so I'm going to oppose it. Yeah, you know, in the time we have remaining, I, I wanted to ask that perhaps one of the big differences, although there's been tribalism over time, I guess, in politics, but compared back to McKinley that you referenced, it would seem right, right now that people have really gone to their corners and it's hard for compromise, but perhaps agriculture, we, we sometimes do a pretty good job of that when other parts of the country can't. I'm just interested in your thoughts of how people eventually do come together to make that happen. Oh, I think uh, agriculture, you know, we pride ourselves on the farm bill uh, being a, a bipartisan exercise. And yet uh, the farm bill is being delayed by, amongst other reasons, uh, people who should support a farm bill uh, uh, trying to, uh, you know, basically in my mind, uh, they made an agreement about what spending levels would be. And now we have 20 or so Republicans uh, wanting to change that agreement a few short months later uh, and get more spending cuts. I have a great deal of sympathy for the idea that we need to cut spending, uh, but a deal is a deal and we ought. 
to abide by it. So, so uh, even in agriculture, we're seeing that uh, that uh, tribalism uh, come come and play in a in a field. Again, the farm bill has typically been a bipartisan affair. So we we've, we've kept a, we've kept the faith longer than most people have, uh, but uh, but 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 we're struggling. Blake, I appreciate the time and appreciate what you wrote. Hopefully folks will uh, check that out. Uh, Very interesting read and enjoy what you have to share with farmers, but also the general public alike. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for what you do. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Remember, you can follow Farming the Countryside and our daily show, American Countryside, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Just type in American Countryside or Farming the Countryside. And these Farming the Countryside broadcasts can be heard in a number of ways on many local radio stations, on podcast platforms, or at farmingthecountryside.com, where you can go back and search our archives for topics of interest. I appreciate you joining me. I'm Andrew McRae. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farm in the Countryside has been brought to you by Nationwide and their farm certified agents. Where might your farm and home not be protected? Go to nationwide.com slash Andrew for answers to help protect your next. And by Pivot BioProven 40 OS, the nitrogen you need now on seed. Learn more at pivotbio.com.